Good evening, Patriots. And it is Sunday, May 29th, in the year 2022. East Coast, you've already hit Monday, which will be the end of the Memorial Day weekend. But for those of you on the East Coast, we still have Sunday. We still have a full day. Not you, though. <laughs> You're ahead of us, and that's the penalty. You got there first, and we just kind of get to hang out for a while. Patriots, remember right now, getting a good night's sleep is absolutely essential. <clears throat> keeping your immune system strong as well. So take care of both. Sleep well, eat well, have a good diet, keep your immune system strong as well as your sleep, but especially that immune system. We are surrounded by the stresses and the environmental issues that are challenging our immune systems. And keeping our immune system strong is essential to maintaining a strong position in this fight. Expedition Coffee was designed specifically to not only give you that energy boost you need that will sustain you across the entire day while boosting your immune system and help maintain a mental focus throughout the day. You can find Expedition Coffee, X-P-E-D, Expedition Coffee at ExpeditionCoffee.com. And there you'll also find a full range of products that are designed to work as a full health ecosystem, all designed to reclaim your personal health sovereignty. Those products include the Gut Health Triad, which helps heal and seal your gut. Leaky gut is one of the critical causes of sickness in our nation. You also have Immune XP, which is an immune booster based on pine cone extract with high levels of vitamin C. Earth, which is a nutrient powder, giving your body a full complement of nutrients you need. Just mix it with water, drink it like a shake. Do that once a day. And Pure 47, one of the most refined silver extracts on the market that can isolate most of the pathogens that you'll encounter. The products on ExpeditionCoffee.com are all designed to give you back the strength in your immune system to not only endure the challenges to the immune system, but to dominate and to rise above to reclaim your true health sovereignty. So check out Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. And you won't be disappointed. That coffee gives you all the boost you need. I take it every day, every day in the morning. It sustains me for the whole day. And I've been taking the full complement of those products now for well over a year. Fantastic. Fantastic products. Keeps you healthy and strong. Remember, Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. So we've got some crazy stuff going on. And there's a really good piece here. In the, I'm going to play here in a minute on the Texas issue, which is really the core narrative that they're playing. And I really agree with it. It's a super good piece. And I think that, it, if I'm not mistaken, it comes from Mr. Freedom Stick. And we'll have to see how, if, but you'll hear that in just a second. Spent this afternoon, this morning actually, uh, giving a Sunday sermon up at the Helios Farms event, which was really good. And a nice group of people there, about 30 or 40 people in attendance. And so I'm going to kind of go over some of that conversation I had this morning today too. So it's going to be pretty good. Let me begin with this piece right here with the perspective on the Texas shooting, it's really good. So take a listen. Oh, hey, a majority of you are falling for their narrative, hook, line, and sinker. What am I talking about? Your corrupt federal government is pushing a narrative to demonize local law enforcement so that you think federal law enforcement's the only answer. Take a step back. What do you truly know about this situation other than what you're being told? Snippets of videos. What's the narrative right now? Local law enforcement stood outside and did nothing. 
But magically, a federal law enforcement officer ran in and saved the day. Again, you don't know too much about the situation other than the information that is being passed through the chain. It's called a narrative for a reason. Getting back to it though, not 24 hours after this tragic event, did the federal government push a police reform bill? Huh. And at the same time, globalist Barack Obama tweets out how we need to think about George Floyd, thus getting everyone angry at the police. Do you not see? You saw what I did there. What is truly going on here? Control an event, control the narrative, control people's emotions, and you will have a controlled outcome. Again, you're feeding right into it, and you don't want to go down this route. They did the same thing in 1930s Germany. They demonized local law enforcement. They stripped their abilities away to actually police and protect the people while they implemented a federal police force. So a couple things before you just rush off to judgment. So before you rush off and pass judgment, ask yourself a couple things. Jurisdiction plays a lot in regards to law enforcement. Depending on where the school lies, if it is on federal property, federal law enforcement have jurisdiction. That means local law enforcement will set the perimeter. Might want to look into that. Many of you in your arguments right now with emotion might possibly be valid. A lot of you individuals turn around and state, well, there was just cops standing around outside not doing anything, holding people back, stopping them from entering into a crime scene and arresting them and detaining them. Yes, it's called holding a perimeter. And I can easily turn around and say DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and Border Patrol are just standing around and not doing their jobs. Because we are being invaded illegally now. Do you see how I control that narrative? With just changing the angles of the facts? Wake up. This is an agenda and you do not want federal police on the streets. And he hits it. I've said this many times. There's a lot of this crazy push that goes on in, uh, especially the Q movement, about you know white hats going to come in, the military is the, is the only way. <clears throat> Be very careful what you wish for. And I mean this. Once you start putting military on the ground, it's going to be something to get them off. Just saying. So I've said this many times. When we start seeing military on the streets, I don't care whether they are good or bad. I consider them enemy of the people until proven otherwise. We don't need martial law. Nothing comes of it well. We the people have the power. We the people can make the choice. And we the people must make the choice. Mark Twain, in the beginning of change, the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned. When his cause succeeds, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. There's a flip of that which has to be considered as well. And it would read something like this. In the beginning of change, a criminal cabal may appear to be scarce and bold, even hated and scorned. But when their cause succeeds, the timid join. And then it costs nothing to be weak. Be very careful where we are right now. We're on a very slippery slope. 
and it's happening everywhere. And at this moment in time, we're moving into, I guess we're at stage two now with CDC today. They're pushing a narrative, which is textbook, another one of Bill Gates' creations. I got a call from Clay Clark today introducing me to some new information, which was a really good conversation I had with Clay. And what he was bringing up is where much of this data is coming from. And it's a, right now, what we're looking at is that the CDC has put in a level two travel alert due to monkeypox, but this is now starting an informal lockdown of the entire nation right after the shooting event, which is all about federalizing the police and taking away your guns. You see how this works? The one thing to keep in mind, and I read this the other night, and it's the truth of this, is that whatever they have planned and why they need to take away your guns, it would read, this was the piece, the only reason why the government would want to disarm you after 243 years is because they intended to do something that you would shoot them for. Keep that in mind. This is... This is a good process to be aware of and awake right now. And it isn't time to start pointing fingers across the board. Our enemy is the federal government, not ourselves. So I'm appreciative that Clave called me today. He sent me some really good information, which I'll be make part of tomorrow night's show. And it's, um, it's time that we start paying attention to the real enemy. And that real enemy is two. It's our federal government, and it's equally us because we can't seem to wake up enough to realize where the real threat is. We keep wanting to believe in the political institution that is using us as hand puppets. It's not time to play that game anymore. 1 Samuel 17 is a story of David and Goliath. And we know that story fairly well. We know that at the beginning of the story, the Philistines have gathered their armies for battle. And Saul and the men of Israel are set at opposing, as the opposing force. 1 Samuel 17, 3. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. And while they were standing there and getting ready, the champion of the Philistines arrived. It was Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits and a span He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and the Israelites heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. We are being dealt with in so many ways right now. We are, have all odds against us in this fight. We are in a place where we keep looking and hearing at the corruption, and then we're also reminded of the mighty force of our federal government, the mighty force of the World Economic Forum, the mighty force of the United Nations. And every time they throw a little bait here or there, a squirrel runs across the trail, we lose that perspective of where the real corruption is and we chase the local events. This shooting in Texas, it took everybody's eyes off of the bigger agenda. And now, once again, they're going to a multiple asymmetric attack on the public. Demonize the police, reform the police to make them federal push for gun control, and call for monkeypox to keep people separated so you can't share ideas. In the meantime, introduce the Truth Commission, and you start censoring the Internet once again. Things are coming, and I saw them coming just a few weeks ago, or actually just this last week, and I may have mentioned it on the show, but out of nowhere, I haven't. you all know I have not been on YouTube since December or January. I think the last post I put in was in January, like January 2nd or something. And I kept the account quiet because we got flagged. I got flagged for something. Who knows? And so I just had one of my flags removed. And out of nowhere, I got another flag for something that wasn't even on the account. But it was called medical misinformation. It wasn't even there. I'd taken it down six months ago. They're already starting, and they're mining in. They have everything in memory, so they're just going back and flagging accounts now to keep to prepare to wipe things out again. And that tells me something big is coming, especially since I didn't post anything. So they're going after accounts that are there, that have a history of telling the truth, and they're preparing to start wiping more people out, in my opinion, because they know that what's coming next is this new fake monkey virus nonsense. So we have a lot ahead of us. So David had three brothers that were in the fight with Saul, in Saul's army. And so David's father, Jess, tasked him with bringing food and support to their fight. 1 Samuel 17, 17 to 18, then Jess said to David, his son, take now for your brothers an ephoph, of this roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these 10 cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. So David got up early and he headed to the army's camp where his brothers were and he arrived just at the point when the army was doing their get ready for fight spirit rally, shouting a battle cry and all getting ready to fight the Philistines. 
and they were already heading to the front line. And so David ran to the battle line to meet with his brothers. And as he was talking to them, behold, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And that's when he spoke those powerful words that left the army trembling. Because 1 Samuel 17, 24 to 25, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming? Surely he is coming to defy Israel. David then asks what the reward was for killing the Philistine who would be taunting the armies of the living God. And he got an angry rebuke. David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? But what David had done is he had exposed their vulnerable egos. The men were all in their battle regalia. Men were ready to fight, supposedly. But when this big beast of a, of a thing that on the Philistine side came up, they all lost their strength. And they lost their strength because they weren't fighting with God. They were fighting man to man and saying likely in their hearts, God help me, lead us. But they weren't fighting with God. David, on the other hand, was walking with God, present with God. And asked the question that was very apparent to him. He's looking at all these people here and he's like, like, man, what is going on? You all are supposed to be the big army, and you're running from this dude. So David is going to go fight Goliath. And the guys, the men are pissed. Like, you're just some lowly dude, lowly sheep herder, and you think you're going to outdo us? But what they knew in their heart is that they were weak because they didn't have that intimate, strong relationship with God. It was like a cheap suit or a veneer. It's no different than going to Sunday church and going, I pray, I accept Christ, blah, 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 and then going through your week, but you're not living with that walk in Christ. You're not living with God. Breathing, walking, existing with God, it just becomes that touchstone you go through about once a week and like, okay, got I got that good, good for another week. That's the essence of God's relationship because these men were, they're soldiers, they're, they're wearing mighty armor, they're strong. It's like, pfft. Nothing can defeat me, but everything will defeat you if you're not walking with God. And this is what the core of a lot of the story. So the commander Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are not, but a youth while he was, while he has been a warrior from his youth. I'm telling you, this is literally, that line right there is the entire summation of our faith and how it's taught today. And what it's saying is very simple. You can't do anything that you weren't properly schooled to do because the institutions of man did not prepare you. Church has become, our pulpits have become a way of shaping 
and containing and controlling and ultimately demeaning and pacifying God's children. Where in Scripture does God ever say, ye shall not do anything that you are not schooled in the institutions of man to do? God gave us gifts and talents, every one of us. And they are unlimited in their potential. What limits us is the society around us and ourselves in accepting it. And David sees right through Saul's rebuke. And he says to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from its mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Likely, most of those soldiers had not seen much combat. They had trained. And he, he acted, they acted like soldiers. But David had already seen the real sense of combat. It just took the form of a lion and a bear. And David's willfulness at this point, and I, this is how I read this. David is not there as some ruddy youth with a bunch of testosterone running through him. David is now walking in unison with God, and God is speaking right through him going, hey, this is going to end right now. And that is, a real, that is a courage at that point in time that none of the people in the army had, even Saul. So David won that rebuke, and Saul clothes him, clothes him, put clothes on him of armor and garments and the bronze helmet. And David again gets the common sense. That's straight angle. He says, "I cannot go with these, for these I've I have not tested." And so David takes them off. He took his stick. In his hand, some people say a staff, and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now, could you imagine the army now? The army is sitting there looking at this this young shepherd boy. They're all in their battle regalia, and they're all now having to live with the reality that they all ran from the Philistine. Their egos are being trampled. Their entire persona of being a warrior is being crushed. The true sense of who they are, the weakness in their relationship with God is put forward for everyone to see. And the one who does see it is Goliath, because he knows right how weak they are, because he knows he can crush them, because they don't really walk with God. 
and he makes the arrogant assumption that David is the same. So now imagine them watching David go up there. And I will guarantee you, because this is human nature, there's in, be- in between them, they are betting against David. Because if David wins, he completely crushes everything that they are. Their entire persona goes away. So there's likely between the ranks, and obviously this is not in Scripture, but I find this just so awesome because it's just human nature. You know they're talking to one another. They're going, the dude's going to lose, man. He's going to get crushed. This is going to be good. Watch this. He thinks he's so good. And they're making the wagers on it. My interpretation, but it's this typical, trust me. This is just human nature, especially among soldiers. So David then walks up and meets the Philistine. Then the Philistine, and this is now, we're now in 1 Samuel 41. Then the Philistine came and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him, which is his little servant and slave. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with handsome appearance. The Philistine, obviously, we know the Philistine, Goliath's pretty rough looking. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by the gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me. And you can almost hear the words, come to me, little boy, but he doesn't say it in scripture, but you can almost hear him saying it. Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And he, th- he thinks David, he's reading David as like the other members of the army. He's already chased off the big warriors in all the battle regalia. They're all run away. And here's David, this ruddy, young shepherd, no battle gear. He's got a stick in one hand, and he's got his sling in another, and he's got a pocket full of rocks. And the Philistine's like, whatever, man, this is going to be an easy day. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will remove you, remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now we see this same theme play out somewhere else. It's in the garden. And it's quite really amazing because what David just said there is this, is, this isn't about me. This is not about my weapons. You think it's about weapons. You think it's about the sword of steel. But this is about the sword of the spirit. And this is mightier than any of us because this is God working through this moment. I am simply his servant. 
Now, we've seen this somewhere else. It's quite amazing because it's in the garden. When Peter draws his sword and he cuts off the ear, and then Christ stays his sword. And it's an amazing moment because I am not one who believes that it was accidental. I will never believe it's accidental because the precision of that strike is a person who trains with a sword is very precise. It slices the ear off. Peter demonstrates his perfection and Christ allows that strike to happen and then stays the sword. And when we sit back and we hear this, it's the same thing right here with David reminding Goliath that this is not about tools of war and the sword of steel. It's about God. Just as Christ stays the hand, then heals the ear and turns himself over willingly. Because what he's now said in another form is, I have shown you the perfection of my people and the use of the sword of steel. Now I'm going to show you the mightiness of the Lord as you take me willingly and I destroy your entire empire. Because once you crucify me, all things will collapse. My words, of course. And so here we are in a very similar moment in, the, in this story. The Old Testament. So Goliath responds and he rises up and he comes and he draws near to David. But David doesn't take it. That's what's amazing. David's like, yeah, it ain't going to happen. And he runs towards the line of battle. And you could just imagine the scene. Now you can imagine even the soldiers on the side of what's going through their head. They're literally not knowing what to believe right now. They're, what they're witnessing is courage and unbelievable courage from someone that has no battle gear on, no weapons other than a sling and a stone, and he's running at Goliath as they all know in their heart that they ran from Goliath. And David meets him in the battle. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it. And he struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. The battle's over. David could call it a day. Okay, Lord, got it. Checking out, going. Did my thing, slung a stone. But the battle wasn't over. Because that's what not what David proclaimed on the battlefield. What David proclaimed is he would cut off his head. And that which is proclaimed is fulfilled in every step. Because that's as the Lord was guiding David, David obeys. Thus David, this is 1 Samuel 17, 50, thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. So what is he going to do? Because he said he was going to cut off the Philistine's head. 
Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword. What an unbelievable bash in the face to the entire army. And draws out Goliath's sword out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with his own sword. This was the coup d'etat that causes the entire collapse of the Philistine army. Had David walked away with the stone in the Goliath's head, who knows what would have happened. But this was it. They witnessed David without a sword draw Goliath's sword, which you know was big. By everything we've heard, everything was big with Goliath. And David pulls his sword out, cuts off his head, and the entire Philistine army scatters to the wind because their champion was dead. And in that moment, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. And what do we see? The Israelites have a, have a relationship, I would call it a casual relationship with the Lord. David obviously has an intimate relationship with the Lord. And the Philistines have nothing but a worship of an idol. It's Goliath. And besides that, they have nothing. So when their idol falls, they're left with nothing. They scatter to the wind. But when David completes the severing of the head, suddenly Israel the men of Israel and Judah arise and get energized because now they've been touched by the power of God's grace, God's ferociousness and righteousness more appropriately. It is fierce, and they're given back their strength as warriors. But it took that ruddy shepherd boy to give it to them. God doesn't need big, strong, muscular, armor-wearing, weapon-bearing men or women to fight a fight. What God needs is your heart and your trust. And he needs you to hear the truth. And that piece right there, is the power of the army that God has been standing up for the last five years and probably longer, but what we've been witnessing. See, right now we're sitting in the middle of this battle and Goliath is all around us. Goliath is taking this form. It's an amorphous form. It's coming at you from all sorts of angles, but it's the machine. It's the federal government. It's the deep state. It's the bankers. It's CDC. That's your Goliath. And it's telling you, (laughs) I will cut off your head and I will feed you to the birds of the sky because you're weak and you're pathetic and you can't stand against me because I am great. I am Goliath. And there's nothing you can do because I know how great and powerful I am. And by all odds, he's right. And they're right. By all odds, we have no chance, by the way. David had no chance, by the way. 
except for one little thing. No one trumps God. And David put all of his trust and belief in God. Didn't even hesitate. There was no fear. What do we say? There's over 350 times in the Bible God tells you fear not. And yet, here we, we repeat and do that dishwasher cycle over and over, and we fear. Why? As a society, how do we keep dumping into that? Fortunately, we're also reminded that we don't need everybody to be on the same sheet. We learned that story in the Battle of Gideon or the Gideon's army. And again, I, you, I've told this the other night, we were going over this, but it's so appropriate now. I mean, you could just imagine, here's another one of these great moments. Gideon is there like, hey, God, what's going on? God's like, hey, I want you to ask your people something. It's like, God, I've got 32,000 people out here. We're ready to rock and roll. God's like, okay, that's cool. Uh, why don't you ask him this question? If you have any fear or anxiety once you go home, David's like, yeah, no problem, man. I'll ask him that. Boom, 22,000 people exit. Did you imagine? Can you imagine getting like, uh, God, what the heck just happened? God's like, yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Like, what in the heck just happened, God? He's like, I've got something else for you to do. He's like, all right, I'm down to 10,000. Now what? He's like, I want you to go, I want you to ask him to drink water. And the ones that get down and lap like a dog, I want you to keep those. And the rest of them, I want you to send home. Okay, God. I'm sure it's going to be cool. You're not going to get many out of here, but that's good. What does he end up doing? He's down to 300. But what doesn't Gideon ever do? He never stops trusting in God. Because he understands that whatever God's leading him to do, no matter what, it's going to be right. And we see that, 300, we're reminded we don't need 32,000. We just need that core, that true heart warrior that's going to be out here fighting. And just like David, you can destroy the greatest of armies. And oh, by the way, it didn't take the sword of the spirit. It took a couple, a few horns and some pots of light. And in David's case, it took a stone. See, because both of these stories, which were Old Testament, already knew what Christ gave us in red letter language, which was Luke ten nineteen. They already knew this because through their relationship with God, it was very clear. Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. They didn't even need to be told that. Because the number one thing that they understood was no fear. Because God was leading it and that was it. That's all they had to think about. Now speaking to the Virginia legislature in March 23rd on 1775, these were Patrick Henry's words. Listen to this. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. 
The next gale that surveys from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand idle here? Is life so dark or peace so sweet as to be purchased at any price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Because they understood fearlessness, Patrick Henry understood that there was a line you could not cross. Patrick Henry understood that with God, it did not matter the size or the immenseness of the army because in the day, God would lead and would crush such an army. Mark four thirty-five to 40. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up. And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Anyone that's afraid these days has to be asked that question. The sound of the guns are rising. We are at war. And if that's not evident, just give it a little more time. They're on the march, keeping people distracted, trying to keep people in fear and panic. They're on the march to try to steal away everything you have. And their idea, their message to you is, you will own nothing. You will rent everything and you will be happy because in their mind, they will turn you into an indoctrinated slave with no chance of ever escaping. And so people ask the question, well, what are we to do? What's going to happen? What's the future going to look like? How are we possibly going to win? Have you no faith? God doesn't need to reveal the end. He's asking for one thing, fear not. And then he wants you to have faith and trust in him. It's pretty simple. And just like the ground soldier, on, when you're down on that combat zone, you're not getting the messages or seeing the vision of your commander, but you know one thing, that at all odds you will survive, you will pursue, and you will destroy ruthlessly your enemy. End of story. Because to think and believe otherwise, you will become their victim. And that is where we are. And so we have arrived and continue to be at the same place we have been now for almost a year. Jeremiah 6.16. 
we have to choose. It's, we are in the valley of decision. And this is a huge point of our departure and a huge point of our decision in our lives. Are we going to walk like David's and are we going to walk like Gideon's and Joshua's? Are we going to be enslaved by our own free will and our unwillingness to face this fearlessly and trust in God? Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I seek the ancient paths. I've asked for the ancient paths. And that's the key is to ask and to seek with God. Not to assume. Because God is looking for his warriors. And that true warrior rips open his heart willingly and says, God, look inside. Look at what I found. Let's tear this apart. Let me get rid of everything in me that's holding me back. And I'm not waiting for you to look in me. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to show it to you, and then you're going to take me deeper into it and get so deep into what I am. We're going to just tear apart all this junk, and when I get through, I will be rebuilt as you need me and reforged through the fires and trials, and I will face this enemy without any fear, and we will pursue him together ruthlessly. This is where we are. The choices. And that's not an easy path, but the easy path is calling you if you want it. Just take the shot. Wait for your UBI. Don't break any rules. Make sure you obey what we say. You don't have to look deep within. And all will be okay. But make sure and take the next shot as well. And oh, that digital ID pass. You're going to have to carry that around and keep it up to date. But when it comes and you get it, we've got some free money for you. We're going to have a little apartment you can live in. You can all live happily together in a communal space. Yeah, you'll be happy. You'll own nothing, but you'll be happy. And you'll make us very happy too because we're your masters now. And there's no escaping. Or you can turn to God and say, uh, nothing, nothing with that. I'll take you, Lord. Rip me open. Rip me to the bones. I will stand. When I stand now with you, there will be a fearlessness, a fearlessness like David, like Gideon, like Joshua. And we will not stop until we win. It's the valley of decision. And there's another little bonus to all this. John 14, 12, if we're willing to walk and truly believe it and not doubt it, because these weren't metaphors and these weren't parables, these were words from Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Do you believe it? Do you trust in it? Do you trust so much in God and trust so much in Christ that you're willing to accept what Christ just left us to read? 
that we would do greater works than he. Because most people say, that's not possible. I'm not God's son, except that God's son was in the flesh. He lived as a mortal man. So ask yourself, is this a metaphor? Or is this a gift and a gift of immense power if we believe and if we trust? Because any, many, me, any, many enemy that faces that might of Luke 10, 19 and 14, 12 will not stand. But then you can worry about what your digital passport's going to be. And you can worry about where the UBI is going to come from or if your bank account's going to be secure or not. And you can waste all your energy on that or you can turn around and trust in God and be the warrior that God needs. But it's a choice. So listen to these words as we close. George Washington. And these are the words he wrote addressing the Continental Army before the Battle of Long Island. And the date? August 27, 1776. And now think about how these sound in today, where we are today. And, they, and this is what he said. The time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be free men or slaves, whether they are to have any property they can call their own, whether their houses and farms are to be pillaged and destroyed and themselves consigned to a state of wretchedness from which no human effects will deliver them. The fate of the unborn millions now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Our cruel and unrelenting enemy leaves us only the choice of brave resistance or the most abject submission. We have, therefore, to resolve to conquer or die. This is not a game. This has never been a game. But it is time for every one of us to choose. And this choice is not said lightly. This choice is said with the resolve of what you truly stand for and what you believe. And as we round out this Memorial Day weekend... I say these words knowing how much blood has been spilled for this nation for people that believed in those words. The question is, are you among the ranks of that courage? Or are we still worried about that digital ID pass and the UBI and the next vax? Because if you're going to walk with the true warrior and patriot of this nation and under God, All that other stuff is noise. There's only one thing in your mind. Win. And win with God. Because this is God's fight. We're in the Lord's army. And this enemy has defiled our God many times. And it must be ended. The one God, the true God, the living God. Our mission for me is clear. Win. And we as we shall. And no matter what the cost is for me, there is only one mission forward. Fight more ruthlessly with greater 
righteousness than I've ever had. Because what's at stake is the glory that only God can bring. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight with the stories of great heroes and courageous fighting underneath us, the stories of the amazing victories of people that you led, the unsuspecting that rose to be courageous and powerful, not by ego, not by strength, but by the connection and intimacy they held with you and the trust that they placed within you. Father, as we sit here tonight for all that we'll accept to open our hearts to you, to let us show you all those places that we struggle with, places of fear, places of burden, places of frustration, of anger, of hate. And we pray this evening that everyone that will do that just to be healed, to have it taken from them, and the blood of Jesus to heal that heart, to bring up that new breed, that new time of warrior, the mightiness of them. It matters not where they sit in the place in life. Only matters in the purity of their heart and the willingness to trust in you. Because, Lord, you, as we know, have created a perfect army. All we have to do is trust and listen and stand. So, God, tonight we pray for the many that will make that call. And we pray for the mightiness of this army to now rise and to continue to rise and to stand against this evil and to press back because we know this enemy is now pushing harder than ever before because they see us awakening. But they have not yet met the true righteous warriors. And so, Lord, it's time we pray for this righteous army to rise, to begin to show its face and to begin to begin to seize the day. Guide us and protect us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We walk in the path of Jesus. Truth is our greatest weapon. And not just truth in words, but truth in all that we live. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we are here. It is time to choose. And the sooner you get clear and each of us gets clear on where we walk, the stronger this army rises and the quicker this enemy is defeated. Have a very blessed Monday, last day of Memorial Day. Keep your prayers up for all those that have served and continue to serve in the true sense of the Lord and this nation. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers focused on that intimate relationship. Let God speak to you boldly in your heart. Open your heart to him. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. 
Walk fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove That we could stand here too All the nights been pushing through Fight for all we had to lose Reaching out for something To pull us up to the level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now
Something to find.